It was life changing. You do the, seem different. I'm glowing, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I feel very on. different. Yeah. <laughs> it changed my life. An entrepreneur and a student. A dad and a daughter. Podcasters intrigued by Taylor Swift. Welcome to 13 Ways of Looking at Taylor Swift Podcast. In each of our 13 episodes, we explore one theme, analyzing it through four lenses. Taylor's music, storytelling, business, and image. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Okay, we're back. We're back. (laughs) (laughs) After a little hiatus. Yes. Somebody did something fun during that hiatus and it was not your dad stuck on the back on the boat so we were what it's been two months I think since our last episode Mm -hmm. I can look at the date it was like May or June yeah and you were off in Los Angeles going to theater school during our last episode no No, since our last episode episode. yeah Um, and I was just here on the boat doing boat work Um, And what did you, what was the fun thing that you were able to do? Yeah, well, I did a lot of fun things, but the fun Taylor-related thing was that I went to the tour. I went to the Eras tour, (laughs) shaking his head right now. Um, Yeah, we got tickets back in December for a Christmas present, and just two tickets for um, the first night of the L.A., um, the L.A. nights in August, and uh, I went with my sister, it was life-changing. I feel like such a different person your, since our last episode. Your sister, who is not the co-host of your <laughs> 13 Ways of Looking at Taylor Swift podcast. <laughs> and your co-host was like down in the bilge fixing stuff in yeah. the Caribbean, sweating. Yeah. No, yeah. you were you were in That's true. I did go to the States and meet up yeah. with you guys. Yeah. It's okay. You know, she's going to be on tour for the next like year plus. So we need to get more tickets. Yeah, well, like, uh, we've got friends on a boat anchored right over here. They're mm-hmm. sailing across the Atlantic this summer, and they have a timeline because why? Drum roll! They have tickets to see Taylor in Milan in mm-hmm. mid July. So yeah. like, the whole world. Two is, nights. They have two nights. The whole world is being impelled and pulled and and rotated by um, the Taylor Swift Eras tour. Yeah. Okay, so as a result, this episode is. Not just the Eras Tour, but generally live performances. Mm -hmm. Taylor Swift and live performances. Um, And we've got our lenses, so let's jump into it. Where do you want to start? Let's start with storytelling, because that's what we were discussing most Mm -hmm. when talking about the tours. Um, So we just, for context, we just watched the 1989 World Tour, which is on, on YouTube, which isn't that great. Um, compared to the Reputation Stadium tour, which is on Netflix, so it's like high quality. Um, but it was it was really great. I I've, I've watched it before, but I wanted to show it to you because it's just it's so amazing. It's her first like really big tour. I mean, she had great tours before, but I think it's a really great storytelling tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love I love watching her live performance. So I saw the um, Reputation movie mm-hmm. with you. And then I, I guess I, I wasn't aware that there's basically a movie for every tour, mm-hmm. right? So I've, we've got some, I have some homework to do. You mm-hmm. know, we need to watch those. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, one thing that that blows me away, and this is a, definitely an old person thing to say, is just the multimedia, like the full 360-degree performance aspect of the performance. Because mm -hmm. when I grew up back in my day, mm -hmm. you know, um, live music was mostly, you know, the band came out and they played. Um, there was some dancing, there was a little bit of this polish or whatever, but like concerts today, and this is not just Taylor Swift, it's everybody. We saw Beyonce together mm -hmm. years ago. I mean, the only one is just not really doing much in terms of like theater and multimedia is Ed, Ed Sheeran. He just yeah. comes out and like plays his yeah. guitar and he's just like, whatever, enigmatic Ed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you were there, right? So you experienced the one concert in the Eras Tour. It's this like multimedia melange of dance and video. So there's that aspect of it, like the kind of performative aspect of it. And then there's the aspect that it's not an album tour right it's every album right mm -hmm. so that's a little confusing to me like did it feel schizophrenic to you yeah well i think something that's really important to think about when thinking about her tours is that she's a great storyteller like she's so good at at creating something and um you know that doesn't just limit her to music and stuff i mean she like is a great writer as well and she does amazing she creates amazing songs but she also she paints and she i think she puts tours together really, really well. And um, so, you know, watching any of her tours, watching the 1989 World Tour, the Reputation Stadium Tour, I don't ever feel like I'm lost anywhere. I feel like it's a, each song or moment is so well put together and it's it's meant to be an emotion or a story or something. And is it's- Is that because the storytelling aspect is so knitted into everything she does? So like you get grounded in that story in that moment and it doesn't really matter what album it's from? I mean, yeah, I think, I think the general aesthetic, like when you go into the tour, when you, you know, I mean with the Eras tour it's completely different because you're crossing so many different years and eras. But with, I imagine, you know, because we've just looked at 1989 and Reputation, those are two polar opposites. Mm -hmm. And when you go into them, or when you begin watching them, you feel the complete difference. You feel like one is so, you know, lighthearted and, you know, the big wide world, and the other one is like, oh, the world is against me and I'm consumed with revenge. Um, Small things. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just, you know, minor, minor details. But I think those play into, those emotions play into what you feel when you're watching it so each mm -hmm. i mean each song like there are songs like gorgeous and on reputation where it just like it feels like love everywhere even though you're on this this you're at this tour dark where, trip yeah so <laughs> so i think she's like does that really well of bringing in yeah opposite elements or opposite emotions during a tour that's focused on one thing um so in that aspect her storytelling is amazing is that it can cross so many things in one album and the shifting of gears didn't feel jarring to you of like so, oh my god we're in you know right, right now i'm talking about 1989 and reputation okay even though i've never been i like i've seen the tours and stuff and i can see mm -hmm. the elements and see the storytelling and everything and you're a credentialed taylor swift historian so you, you know, <laughs> i've got really a phd i have to, have to work on that um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. um but with the heiress tour switching gears i think the storytelling there is even better because it's um mm. in many ways it's a heightened better version of all the tours that she's done previously so 
with 1989 during that, because it's divided up into eras, so you're never switching around between different songs and different albums. You're sticking with one era ah, for, like for a set number of songs, and then yeah. you switch to another era. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. So within those specific eras, re- revisiting things like Fearless, Speak Now, I mean, Speak Now is literally two songs right now. Um, Red, 1989, Reputation, all those um, albums she has done tours for, so you have a comparison. And obviously, like, if you have a special album that you really, really like, you're not going to... You're going to love having it in the Eras tour, but you're going to look for the stadium tour or, the re- or like, the, the recorded one because that's the, that's the tour that's about that specific album. So I think um, the way she does it in the Eras tour is that she re- redoes it and changes the things that she, wish she wishes she had done before. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and makes it like nostalgic and you know you're going back in time going back to like you know fearless is the second eras so after you know after the first set everything changes and mm-hmm. you just hear the opening lines and everyone is like so happy going back right. to this time and do you, you know? do you know like is she moving sequentially through the albums no, or no. you don't know what the as soon as an album switches you don't know what the next one's yeah. gonna be so generally That's exciting. i knew kind of a few pieces i knew that lover was first and then who, after that who was, ruined that for you I mean, I've seen I've seen some of the Instagram. live streams. Instagram, yeah, the media, yeah. okay. the media, <laughs> the media. Um, but no, generally, once or twice, I think I got on a recording where it would be like, when you're switching between eras, she goes off stage, and it's just right. just usually her band. Sometimes her band is gone. Just <laughs> sometimes dancers, and then visuals and lights start happening. Yeah. So she puts up visuals that um, you know move into the next era, or she'll have like. The backdrop of a certain song or notes, and that's how, you, that's how you know what song is coming next from the next album, right, yeah. and start the next era. So, yeah. yeah so I in mean, those ways, you get a slight break. Like we talked about this, she's not taking breaks. Those <laughs> those breaks, quote unquote breaks, are ten seconds long. So yeah. your your feeling you get, I think the entire tour in general definitely feels like a whirlwind. But it's so, I think she does a great job of slowing it down in certain parts and, mm. and honing in on obviously the hits from all her albums, but also the ones that she really likes to perform and the ones that, you know, the fans connect with and everything. So, so yeah. you have a favorite album, you have different relationships. At that concert, once you're switching between them and you had a taste of every single one, mm-hmm. what was the best? Oh. What was the best? so tough it's so tough it changes all the time i mean every single moment like no, every but i single... mean like right there okay. like when you finished and you and your sister were like ah you... oh my god if i had asked you right at that moment what was the best like album section well that's a different question than saying what was my favorite song yes because my favorite song would be long live mm. she added that very recently at the time that i went and it's a it's an amazing like she performed it with her band on stage and yeah, she was okay. doing it acoustically and it was it's just a very like communal moment and I was like almost crying it was so good um, but then my favorite album I think would have been the Reputation era because okay. the yeah. way it goes into that the energy completely changes the visuals it's just I think that was the peak Super of the show yeah. yeah how was the Evermore section like Mm. that's actually the thing i'm most interested because when you talk about like shifting gears and then slowing down Mm -hmm. like that should that must have been a moment when like everything kind of slowed down yeah 
So the folklore and Evermore sets were they back to back or were they separate? No, they were separate. Nice. They were separate. Oh, yeah, Evermore was pretty early on. I think. Oh. I think it was just after Fearless. I'm totally gonna get that wrong. Um, but yeah, so I was wondering like how she was going to pull off those sets and those albums because mm-hmm. you know obviously they're totally different like genre and right. feel than all of her other albums. No matter if the other ones are country or pop, it's just so slowed down and melancholic almost mm-hmm. um so i think what was amazing is that she toned down all the lights and the like you know when we were watching the stadium the world tour or even the stadium tour um of 1989 and reputation you can see there's like so many lights going on there's so yeah. much technology and like like sounds and lights and everything going on i think with those two sets i remember she just toned it down a lot she wasn't um she wasn't moving around a lot. She was on stage, but it wasn't like the camera was focusing on her, like, I don't know, or, or on, like, the visuals on the back screen or anything. It was just really her singing and then, obviously, backing vocals and on all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But it didn't feel like it was super high energy. Did um, that, did the, her musician, collaborator, producers, Jack Antonoff, and then that guy from The National, were they there? Mm-hmm. Did they come out and play with no, her? No, they, they have come out a few times yeah. um, to play surprise songs with her. Okay. But on, but my, on my show, the surprise guests were Haim. So, oh. yeah, so they Good came out right in, kind of in the beginning during the Evermore set. Oh. For nobody in a crime. Oh, nice! So oh, that amazing. must have been awesome. It was amazing. Oh, it was amazing. yeah, so good. Yeah, that's great. <sighs> um, just to kind of close the loop on storytelling, then we should sh- sort of shift yeah. to, to music. Although we're kind of doing that a little bit. But one of the points I wanted to make before talking about like you know how concerts these days are these you know entire visual presentation of dance, music, imagery. Blah, blah, blah. One of the things, and I didn't. And though I paid for the tickets, I didn't get to go to the eras. Um, but I've seen, you know, I saw the, the Reputation and the 89. Um, and in those, one of the things that struck me was how all of that multimedia actually plays a role in storytelling. Like you're getting the story in the dancing. You're getting the story. Mm-hmm. You're not, it's not just, it's not musical. It's not like a, a thing that's kind of being added in to create a mood. It's actually, there's a narrative. You know, a lot of times, like, you know, there'll be a bunch of dancers and then one dancer will be like the protagonist and you'll, they'll like act out the story on the stage mm. or the video in the back isn't just, you know, lights and sounds, but it's actually kind of a narrative sort of telling the story. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think this is this is like her bias, you know, when you back out and you think about her as an artist and everything, you know, she's got all these this talent set. As we have talked about a lot on this podcast, we believe her sort of top talent is as a songwriter. And so she like over indexes towards that in her performances. You sort of see it. She's like a, really a songwriter performing, which is odd because mm-hmm. typically a songwriter writes the song and the performer goes out and performs it. And they're usually they're usually not the same. You know, you have singer songwriters and she's really taking that to me, a kind of songwriter sensibility out onto the stage which is super cool yeah yeah. (laughs) like really really just like you were saying i mean in this day and age i think that's a really that's something that helps her a lot is that you know because we have so much technology and this access to like amazing things like you know all these visuals and all these lights and these amazing stadiums 
you know, if you're just a guy with a guitar on stage, you're not going to, I mean... Well, what about gonna... Enigmatic Ed? He's just a good guy. <laughs> on the... yeah, he's, got... he's great. He's, he's great. great. What I'm saying is that, that he's not on the same level as Taylor. And I think I think that has to do a bit with her being being like a pop star and doing yeah. all these like really big, flashy things. Um, we'll see about that. When we get to the business section of this podcast, yeah. I got a couple of numbers and Ed comes in. Oh. The levels Are you an and Ed stuff. fan? Um, who isn't an Ed fan? He's oh, awesome. I'm not, I'm not that really? much an Ed fan. Mm. Sorry. Oh. This isn't an Ed podcast, so <laughs> let's true. move on. Ed makes an um. appearance featuring Ed Sheeran. So let's talk about music. Yeah. Um, and I have a question for you. So you go to the concert, the Eras Tour, mm-hmm. and you're listening to these songs. Isn't it just like listening to them streaming? No. Oh my gosh. I mean, okay, so we just moved into music, but I feel like I have to tie back to storytelling because, you know, I think one of the biggest things about the tour was that it changed how I listened to a lot of songs. Hmm. Um, You do seem different. I'm glowing, right? You know? I feel very different, yeah. (laughs) It changed my life. Um, No, I think think for a couple of reasons. The main one was that she, there's just so many different elements to the music and the song than what's recorded and online. So you can, like I said, when we were watching the 1989 World Tour, she has to change certain parts or else who's going to want to come? Like, what is the reason to come to the tour and listen to her perform these songs if you can just stream it online? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the biggest things is that she changed a lot. Um, didn't, like, drastically, but, you know, different instruments. Of course, she has a full band there and doing amazing things. And then with certain songs, she serves back production and it's just her, you know, or, yeah. like, very low stuff. And on one song, it's in the Evermore set, she has her pianist come on and play the piano on stage, mm-hmm. and that's, that's about it. Is piano in that song? Yeah. Okay, okay. so it's not hugely different yeah. from what you would hear. Um, yeah, I mean, that. my observation in looking at the, watching the tours that I watch is there is variation, you know, not a ton. Like, a lot of the songs are exactly like they are on the album. In fact, some of them even, you pointed out, kind of bummed about this, but like some of the backing vocals are actually a recorded track, pre-recorded. That's a real bummer to go to a live concert and have pre-recorded music. You know, you want live music. But then there are these like moments. For me, like when I watch a two-hour concert, like the things that stand out to me are the variations on the song I know. So it starts and in fact, if I don't even know which song it is because it's starting in such a weird way, and then suddenly I'm like, oh my god, that's this like weird, varied version of this thing I know. Yeah. To me, that's super exciting because that is a moment where that artist is improvising and like she is fully present and like creating in front of me, not just kind of reading music and playing. You know, they don't play for sheet music, but you know what I mean. That is something that's always really inspired me with any kind of live concert. I mean, when I think about it, I can't really think of any place, any time in the show when that kind of happens, other than the surprise songs, which are, you know, totally different than what's recorded. Um, and I might be experiencing, like, amnesia from the show, but, like, I feel like, yeah, I think her her vocals, hearing her sing, um, was very cool, because, you know, when 
you're listening, it's, it's overlaying all her vocals. It's, you know, basically shutting out all the little harmony things that she does. And she does that quite a few times on tour, where she'll change the melody or the harmony of a lyric, um, which just makes her crowd scream and yeah, everything, right. you know? So there's, there, are all those, there are those tiny little moments where, you know, things change and it's, it just keeps, like, the excitement up. Um, but I think definitely, like you said, I would like to see her try doing more variation. Yeah, more variation. Yeah. I'm using the word variation because it is really variation. It's not a whole new improvised different. It's like these small little subtle changes that happen. I think, I think she's that's sort of where she's at. Yeah. You know, you mentioned I asked you before about was it like you know streaming? You said no, and, and then you said so I think you made a comment like people wouldn't go if there wasn't some variation. Yeah. I actually don't think that's true. I think there's something about seeing a musician perform live, right? This is, I experienced this when we were watching the 1989 tour the other night, and we had just, we had just talked about how some of the vocals were pre-recorded, and I was like, ah, that really sucks. And like the next song and the song after, I can't remember which song it was, but the backup singers came out, and they, the, the um, camera really focused on them, and they were belting out behind her on the song. I loved that. It wasn't any different than it was, you know, in the stream, but just seeing them produce that music, I think that a lot of people, I think it's one of the primary desires that people have to go see live music. But some people hate live music. Your mother hates live music. We never go to concerts. I always loved it as a, as a kid. I still love it today. I just love, like, watching that musician and you get that with Taylor Swift because she's got a live band, you know, it's not pre-recorded or anything, it's not a DJ, nothing against DJs, but you know, it's not music. <laughs> um, but like, you know, see the, the drummer and the singers and the bassist and everybody actually performing, I think there's some magic there that is like, it's hard to articulate, and I don't think a lot of people understand it, but I think it's the primary draw. Even though she's not varying the, um, the music, she still has such uh, amazing like audiences. Like everyone is still so obsessed with this yeah. for so many reasons. But like, I'm sure uh, like a draw, like you said, would be to to vary stuff. But she doesn't need to do that because she still gets that pull. Okay, let's bookmark this because she's young. She has okay, a huge career. Okay, she's actually not very young. She's 33. <laughs> Spoken like a true 16 year old. I mean, like. Yeah, she's had this incredible career, but she also has a super exciting future ahead of her, right? Let's bookmark this because she's an artist who's constantly reinventing herself. We're super excited. For sure, she's listening to this podcast. You kidding? This is the most popular Terrace Taylor Swift podcast out there. It's the best, at least. Um, she's always trying, thinking about what can I do next. She's leaning in, pushing. She's trying to, you know, reinvent herself. In terms of varying and variation, right? You can think about that on a spectrum, right? There's the, um, the artist that comes out and plays exactly what's on the album. I think I shared with you one of my most disappointing live concerts was when I saw R.E.M. as a kid, and they played the album exactly like it was. Uh, yeah. you know, and I was like, why am I here? All the way up to super improvisational, like you know, freeform jazz or bebop or even Grateful Dead, who you know would come out and just. You had no idea what they were going to play. You had no idea how they were going to play it. And it was super improvisational. 
Um, and she's, she's every, all music is on, all live music is on that spectrum somewhere. She's way down, sort of close to, I guess, REM end of the spectrum. That's a weird example. But, um, but if she's asking herself, how can I, um, you know, reimagine myself and reinvent myself for a moment, I could see her doing something improvisational, like rocking up with a super toned down production and just a band and like jamming. You know, we have a movie like that. There's a that um, folklore or movie that's you know in the house. Yeah, there you go. Thanks. Yeah, and also I was just playing this movie that night. You were on that you really liked it. She played a few lover songs in Paris live, and I don't know, it was just five or six songs, but I think four of them at least were just her with an acoustic thing. I love those. Yeah, piano or guitar. They were really good. I really really liked her playing lover. So I think it goes in those ways. She definitely has poppy song a pop a, a song that was aimed and meant to be pop on a country album like right. red just completely change it and make it rock like mm -hmm. make it so wild and and crazy and i was i loved it and it's still like i love it so much i listen to it and i'm like okay this is so much better than the regular we're never getting back together but it it also made me think that she should do a rock album so yeah yeah i was wondering if we should bring that up oh yeah Okay, now we're going to talk about business. Oh, my favorite time of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, so when we were discussing how to organize this episode, I mean, we definitely knew that business was going to be a big part of it, so you took that upon yourself to go do some actual research. Yes, I have some. I actually have a spreadsheet <laughs> oh to share. Oh, my gosh. She's so much <laughs> more prepared than I am. Yeah, no, I mean, Taylor Swift is an incredible entrepreneur and business person, as we've talked about on this podcast many times, and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about. Um, and this is, I think, like the high point of her career. I mean, this tour is blowing every record out of the water for tours. Now, tours is a little bit hard to kind of get your hand around. Like, what is a tour? Is it a number of concerts in a calendar year? Is it a number of concerts in 12 months? Is it something in support of an album? Some bands tour forever. Um, you know, the Grateful Dead actually never really toured after an album. They just are always touring and always giving concerts. Um, and many have considered actually the Grateful Dead to be one of the greatest touring bands of all time. The Grateful Dead earned about $170,000 per show. Remember that number, mm -hmm. okay. All right, so the Eras Tour. The Eras Tour will probably be the highest grossing tour of all time ever, okay? Yeah. Um, we don't know exactly right now um, how much money it's, uh, it's made. And when we talk about money, we're talking about gross receipts. So that is just people buying a ticket. Um, there's other economic impact of a concert, but mm -hmm. Just the ticket receipts is a way to kind of compare Taylor Swift against Ed Sheeran, against, you know, other artists. So um, 
up until this year, the highest grossing tour of all time was Elton John, uh, and he had a farewell tour a couple of years ago. And that tour grossed just under a billion dollars, $930 million. That's the highest grossing. And I think the number two is maybe U2, and they have a, uh, I think their highest grossing tour was $700 million. Ed Sheeran's up in there. He has a tour uh, that grossed like $650 million. The Rolling Stones, are, uh, they actually have several slots on that list, so they've had some really popular tours. Now, all of these tours have been in the last sort of five, ten years. Um, because we really have a kind of apples and oranges comparison when you start looking at acts back in the 2000s, the 1990s, the 80s, because people just didn't spend the same amount of money. Okay, so if we ask ourselves today, how much do we think Taylor Swift has earned so far? Well, the average ticket price is about 450 bucks, okay? Um, the average... Uh, audience size is about 75,000 people, okay? Um, and she's done 53 concerts so far, I think. So I put together a little spreadsheet here, and basically if you add that stuff up, and then just change this right here, um, she has so far grossed about $1.7 billion almost twice as much so it's not like oh you look at this list and you're like incrementally going up and here's taylor at number one it's like incrementally going up and then taylor is like double you know and she's not done right mm -hmm. so economists she's gonna be on tour for another year she's going abroad and she has a lot more concerts in fact i think she has another 90 concerts or something to do she's not even halfway through now the ticket receipts will be lower in europe the price point is lower kind of like healthcare. um weirdly i'm not sure why but people spend less in europe on concerts um but economists or business people are looking at this are estimating that she will probably grow somewhere around 2.2 or to 2.5 billion dollars alone in in uh in this concert it's now so crazy that's not the end of the story oh my god there's, there's, more, more, to it. there's more to it so one of the things that's super interesting are the knock-on economic benefits of or effects of the concert and there's some that are kind of close to the concert and others that are sort of farther away. So the close ones are things like the clothes that people buy to merch. go to the concert. N no, that's different than merch, right? <laughs> so think about your experience. Yeah, I, I saw this on my Amazon account from you and your sister. It's like ding, ding, all the day before is like getting all these hats and these tops and all these things, <laughs> everything in pink or whatever and sparkling. I don't know how much you spent, but... Yeah, just, um, like yeah, okay. So the average spend from a concert goer is $300 on just on clothing alone. Wow. The average concert goer to an era's um, tour concert is spending $120 just at the concession stand at the concert. So that's just getting your, Drinks I don't know, your popcorn and beer or whatever you get there. And then merch, after, either at or just on the, on the heels of, and people are spending about $200 on that. So now you're average spend on non-ticket uh, related stuff to the concert is actually in excess of the ticket price, $620. Mm -hmm. So that's the economic knock-on effect so far is probably $2.5 billion, and people are estimating that it'll drive close to $3 billion or $3.5 by the end of the concert. So crazy. Additional 
revenue, to the act, you know, to the tickets. yeah, to the tickets. Now, some of this ends up in Taylor Swift Enterprises, right? The merch. Um, she probably gets a little bit of a cut on the concessions. I'm not sure how the economics of that work. And then there's the like farther afield. So one of the coolest things this summer was in July when the Federal Reserve, who knew they were Taylor Swift fans, mm -hmm. um, made their report in July. And one of the things they called out in their footnotes was Taylor Swift having and the economic impact that she was having on hotel bookings in major markets like Philadelphia, Chicago, Los Angeles. There was a perceptible economic bump, a Taylor Swift bump. <laughs> in July this summer carrying the economy carrying the economy <laughs> and so uh, the total like impact people are saying is currently about five billion and may rise to about ten billion dollars just from the Eras tour so it is like financially it <laughs> the best is, thing. it's incredible <laughs> it's so good I mean she just everything she touches I mean a lot of this is just because of who she is and what she's built up and the value of her brand and everything. But she's also just super smart in business and the way she's like delivers her product, the way she markets it, the connection to the audience, like all of that is now paying these incredible staggering dividends. Yeah. So those are sort of my numbers wow. on the business. Um, yeah, I mean, what was your experience of it in terms of like being a consumer and like sort of thinking what's your view on sort of the business aspects of it well i didn't do as much i didn't do research like you did so i'm very glad that you had those numbers but um i think when the tour first started out in the u.s and stuff in like march april i think um there was this idea of like swiftonomics is what they're calling it mm. is that oh, as the tour kind of built up and started going and people were like oh my god this is like so amazing um, yeah, it just started boosting the economy, and, and yeah, and every city that she went to, there was just like a flood of hotels and trains and all, like everything into yeah. that city. Yeah, yeah, people are seeing like local governments are, are having conferences about this. Yeah, I mean, there's also then the aspect of, of Taylor Swift and her wealth, which is interesting, right? So we've talked. In is the she past. a billionaire yet? Or? Um, probably. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Um, the last estimate was sort of three months ago, putting her at three quarters of a billion dollars of net worth. She's before the tour started. She was under half a billion. So she's you know wow. she's gained two hundred and fifty million dollars of just you know net income. Those numbers I was giving before were gross ticket sales, right? So she only gets a part of that, right? She's got to rent out, they got to pay the hall, there's, and then she has huge expenses, right? Like the band, the set, the film, the choreography. I mean, that she's got a the stage, the stage, like everything. So, you know, you take the, let's say it's a billion dollars so far, but she probably has, you know, half a billion dollars in expenses or even more. So she's probably taken about a quarter of a billion so far in terms of like actual income to her. Mm -hmm. Just a quarter of a Just billion. Just a, you know, meager. But again, like sort of like watershed moments, she may become the first um, uh, pop performer to pass the billion mark in terms of net worth. Wow. Now I think there are a few others, but who have done it in different ways. You know, Jimmy Buffett just died, and I don't know that he was a billionaire, but he was surprisingly wealthy. You know who Jimmy Buffett is? Everyone. Really. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to we'll play you some Jimmy Buffett. Some culture for yeah. me. Anyhow, um, should we move on? Yeah, let's okay. move on. Okay. Wow, that was really interesting. 
Um, yeah, so now we're going to look at brand, which is our final lens. And, you know, when you go on a tour like the Ares tour, that is your brand. That is, right. that's who you are. It's the work that has culminated over 17 years for Taylor to, to make this tour, and that's, that's who she is. Um, so I think in this, in that way, it's self-explanatory that this, this tour kind of makes up everything that she is. And like you said, it, it seems like it would be all over the place, but somehow it just melds all together, just yeah. like her. I mean, one interesting thing when you think about like the image or the brand of Taylor Swift, and then you think about this tour, this tour is not a single album, something supportive of an album. It's a, like a retrospective of her career, mm -hmm. right? Earlier in the podcast, I remarked on how young she is, and you're like, oh, she, but she's like yeah. mature, you know? And you're right about that. She is. She has a lot behind her at this point. She's produced a ton, and so sort of almost a retrospective. And so when an artist has a retrospective, they're kind of at the pinnacle of their brand you know they're sort of like it's all fully realized and now we can explore we can celebrate the entire history of that brand yeah. it's a little bit of that feeling with yeah Aeros. I think that's actually one of the scariest things for me is that like you know when, when she's she, peaked in that business <laughs> yeah it? I mean uh. when she announced this tour I was like wow it's, I mean it's gonna be amazing I'm so glad I got tickets but like what happens after like it's gonna end at some point and the re-recordings are going to end at some point. Like, what if she stops putting out albums? What if she is, like, like retires? I mean, she dude, totally deserves to retire. Dude, you're falling like, into the narrative trap that everybody has always <laughs> fallen into of underestimating Taylor Swift. I you know. can't put Baby in a box. I like, know. she's not <laughs> a country singer. <laughs> she's That's not. not the saying. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm, I'm like, stressing over over nothing. But, like, you can't you can't put it past her even when, yeah, she, when right. she just had, when she's having this tour right now. That's literally looking back all over her entire life so okay. it's nerve-wracking it is yeah, yeah it's scary yeah. i'm so scared right now so but there's another way to look at it right she's at the apex of her powers mm -hmm. um <laughs> and that gives her like such incredible creative business entrepreneurial freedom right and i think you see it her image is is is, is different on, on the artist tour for example she a hallmark of, of taylor swift is that she's kind of sort of the friendliest person in music and she has a lot of friends and she invites them onto stage mm -hmm. and in fact when we were watching the 1989 um, tour there was a whole section about all the people that came up and there were lots of of people I didn't know emerging artists but there were also like super famous people mm -hmm. showing up on that stage right yeah. Mick Jagger comes out mm -hmm. and all these other people in the eras tour though she she has people come up, but she has a lot less space for them, right? It's a packed show. It's three hours long. It's ten albums, blah, blah, blah. Um, so she's had to make some decisions. And gone are the celebrities, right? There's not that many celebrities showing up on stage and singing a song with her and everything. She doesn't need them now. I mean, I don't know how much she needed them back in 1989, but there was a, that was a boost bringing Mick up on stage. But, like... She doesn't need celebrities. And instead, she's taking that limited resource of whatever time she has to bring a guest artist up, and she's saying, oh, what matters to me? The emerging artists, the mentors, the people that I can kind of bring up under my halo and like give them a stage um, to sing on. Yeah. And that act, maybe we call it a charitable act or a philanthropic act, that plays into her image, right? Like she actually is coming across now as a, as a very different like very mature very in her place kind of artist who can help out 
these really talented young people who don't necessarily have a platform that she has. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's so true because like when we were talking about the the 1989 tour and um, you know the kinds of people that she would bring out and there were a lot of artists and you know different kinds of what you're saying like emerging ones and then you know legends um, but they're also just like her friends and um, like athletes even who were coming out and everything and I think yeah part of part of what you're saying is that she just doesn't have time for them on the on the actual set like on the it's, night it's, it's packed, packed. Um, but also she just doesn't need them anymore like she is the biggest one out there right now mm-hmm. and, and um, she doesn't need to like suck up to other people or give them a part of the show to play their song and have her sing along mm-hmm. she's she's the whole show now right yeah awesome well I think we've done a good job with performances do you have any um, swift chat to oh, yes. like kind of wrap up little tidbits of things that you can came across oh, yeah. oh you're like your eyes got really big it looks like <laughs> so we have ready a, do we need hours for this <laughs> this is the best part of the podcast oh, God. so yeah so I mean we were saying that it's been a while since our last episode and quite a bit has happened I mean any amount of time between you know talking about Taylor and another episode of talking about Taylor something's going to happen with Taylor so since we last talked Speak Now Taylor's version has come out and I'm in love I love it so much it's awesome it's a beautiful okay. album yeah. And I think, you know, just to have some comments on that, I think the biggest one that sparked into my mind when I was listening it, to it for the first time, and then, you know, every time I've listened to it since, has been that she's dropped the accent. Um, she stopped pretending mm-hmm. that she's country. Um, and I think that's that's really mature, and it also sounds better, because Speak Now isn't, isn't a super country album, not like Fearless or Debut. Um, <coughs> it's very much like experimental and you know growing up kind of thing and I like that she dropped the accent in a few, few places she hasn't done debut yet no oh my god that's I think gonna that's gonna be, gonna be the crazy. last one like reclaiming her name finally mm-hmm. yeah yeah love it yeah and then um what else oh yeah 1989 Taylor's version was announced <coughs> Oh, so exciting coming out October 27th. Have you slept at all since that announcement, or you? Just I don't like, think I fully slept. I don't think I've down been in full, your cabin yeah, just, just like, been, like waiting. Stressed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited. I'm not the biggest fan of 1989. Um, I do listen to it a lot, but I I think you know I have other ones that I like more. But I think this is Taylor's favorite, so there's mm. going to be a lot around it, and there already is. I mean, she she had like you know all her stuff like when she moves to a different era or her like media and her Instagram and everything changes around and she released um, the puzzles for the vault tracks a few, Which few days ago. Which I can't ago. get at all. I, know. I don't know what the heck is I going can, on. Do you want me it's to like, explain them to you? Well, maybe not on the podcast. Maybe you can make like, you offline. Because yeah. <laughs> I look Okay, no, Dad, Dad totally understands them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the film is coming out, which is just a testament to how big the tour is. I yeah. mean, it's, it's insane and going to be in theaters which is amazing i don't think any of her either of her films have been in theaters before mm, so i'll make a note and do some research yeah, on that for yeah. next time That's cool amazing. i have a i have a chat yes okay um it comes out of my research on the business okay. stuff okay so um economists are estimating that the impact of the eras tour is going to be about five billion dollars mm-hmm. if taylor swift were a country mm-hmm she would have 50 other countries that were smaller than her in terms of economic output. Oh my gosh. 
<laughs> how many artists do we like, wow. you know, compare to? I would want to live Go. in that country. <laughs> I, would, I would move there permanently. Taylorlandia. <laughs> Taylorville. <Swiftland>. <laughs> Taylorville. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, this has been great. Yes. I think another episode mm-hmm. in the bank. Good job. Boat didn't, boat didn't sink, and I think we said some relatively on yeah, dumb things. Yeah, I, I hope so. Cool. Okay. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for listening.